Okay, we're in a relatively new series, a few weeks in, Forgotten Sayings. Not so much actual sayings that we've forgotten, because when we hear them, we know that we know them, and we know who said them, and we probably know a little bit about the context in which Jesus said them. But nevertheless, sayings that are so hard to remember when it comes to the way that we live. In that sense, they get forgotten in our lives, even if they be remembered in our memory. Today's saying is perhaps no different, but it's also a little different as well. Blessed are the persecuted. It's different, this one, I guess, because it's easy for us to feel a little fraudulent. It's easy for me to feel a little fraudulent as we talk about it together. Most of the things that um, I talk about uh, week on week, because I'm a normal human being like the rest of us, I, I kind of have experienced in some way. If we're talking about pain, I know what it is to experience pain, disappointment, I know about that, loss, happiness, joy, all of that kind of stuff we share together. But here we come to a subject that Jesus is addressing, that in our experience, we know very little about, generally speaking. And what Jesus seems to say here makes absolutely no sense. Blessed, happy, fulfilled, content, rich, peace-filled, flourishing are those who are persecuted. We don't generally for one moment think of persecution being remotely like that. Of course, we do know what it's like to be persecuted. There won't be any of us in this room that hasn't faced some kind of negative experience or reaction because of his or her faith. We might remember someone looking down on us or opposing us or ridiculing us or mocking us in some way. And even those very minor examples of quote-unquote persecution are enough often to see us scurrying in the opposite direction. We shared that we were a Christian and someone mocked me, us. Mental note, be careful where you share that information. You offered to pray for someone and they weren't very warm in their response or nothing happened and you felt a little stupid. Mental note, do not offer to pray for somebody again. And sometimes the, the, the opposition and the kind of tension that we face can be very real and very close to home. We might have partners or parents or brothers or sisters that don't understand us, that don't share our faith, that, that almost um, indirectly mock us, and we know how much that hurts. So what on earth did Jesus mean when he said persecution with a capital P? can be a place of being blessed. You see, Jesus here takes the conversation to a whole new level. Because as we look out on a global scale this morning, there are vast areas of our world where persecution takes place, not with a small p, not with a tiny little bit of mocking or ridiculing, but on a very significant, every moment, every day, every week, month, year, life-changing persecution. Persecution that leaves people never ever to be the same again. 
That's the world into which Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. Here's a short film from Open Doors that work amongst the persecuted Christians around the world that just reminds us of some of the top countries in the world where persecution is taking place right now. Millions of Christians worldwide are persecuted because of their faith. Every year, Open Doors publishes the World Watch List to focus the world's attention on those 50 countries in which Christians face the greatest persecution. Here are the top five countries on the list, the most dangerous places in the world to be a Christian. Number five, Syria. Christians are caught in the violence of the ongoing civil war and also specifically targeted by Islamic extremists for attack, abduction and murder. Yet the church is still actively helping both Christians and Muslims. Number four, Afghanistan. There is no visible church in Afghanistan. All Afghan believers are secret converts from Islam. Those accused of converting to Christianity face hostility, arrest and even death. Foreign aid workers who are Christian have been killed. Number three, Eritrea. The government of Eritrea sees Christians as agents of the West. Pastors, church leaders and church members are imprisoned without trial. Thousands are kept in horrific conditions, some in metal shipping containers in scorching temperatures. Others are forced to work long hours doing manual labour. Many die as a result of their imprisonment. Number two, Iraq. Islamic State has taken over major parts of the country, causing many Christians to flee for their lives. But militants also attack and destroy Christian communities elsewhere. There's been a church in Iraq for nearly 2,000 years. Now it's on the verge of extinction, with tens of thousands of Iraqi Christians either having left the country or being forced to live in refugee camps. Number one, North Korea. For the 14th consecutive year, North Korea is number one on the World Watch list. The government considers Christians to be enemies of the state. Christians have to worship in secret. Possessing a Bible will put your whole family in danger. Thousands of Christians are imprisoned in horrific labour camps. But even so, North Koreans still choose to follow Christ and the underground church is growing. Open Doors supports persecuted Christians in over 60 countries around the world. In these places, the church may be persecuted, it may be suppressed, attacked or lied about. But it has not been, and it will never be, destroyed. It seems in the verses that uh, John read some moments ago, that took place just in the final hours of Jesus' life, that he's preparing them for a life of persecution. From Jesus' perspective, unlike ours, persecution seemed inevitable. It seemed to be the way that he anticipated it would play out for those early disciples. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. 
Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. But why? Why is it that the world would persecute people who are generally committed to love, who by and large set themselves against injustice, who give themselves voluntarily around the world to the needs of the oppressed, the downtrodden and the needy? Why is that group of people, why is this group of people among those all over the world that find themselves persecuted? Let's dig a little for a few moments and draw out some of the truths that the Bible says about why Christians are persecuted and then begin to wrestle with this question. Why on earth could Jesus say with the same authority that he said everything else, blessed are those who are persecuted? Because at first glance, it doesn't look much like that. So here we go. Christians are persecuted because they no longer belong. Because they no longer belong. There's a sense in which Jesus is saying, look, you're going to be taken out of this world. So persecution uh, is, from Jesus' perspective, inevitable. And he begins to explain in these verses why Christians are persecuted. They're persecuted because they no longer belong. They no longer belong. If you belonged to the world, then you would be treated in a particular way, Jesus is saying. It would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, which is quite hard for us in our context because we spend a lot of our time and a lot of our energy trying to belong, trying to be part of the world where we have been placed. And the word that Jesus uses for world in these particular verses is the word cosmos, which in the Greek language, the Greek culture of the day, was a particular emphasis on the world that was bad and dark and evil and against God. So John writes, for God so loved the world, this dark, sinful, alien a uh, uh, world that's rejected God and his purpose. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into it. A world that has changed sides from light into darkness. And, and when we become Christians, the Bible says, we have literally changed sides. We have changed our allegiance. We have identified ourselves with no longer the world in which we moved and lived and have our being. But we've identified ourselves with God's kingdom from an other world, that our citizenship is now in heaven, where the Bible says we are already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Christians are persecuted, secondly, because they belong to Jesus. And as Jesus made clear, look, you can see what they will do to me, then do not be surprised that they will end up doing the same things to you. Because of my name. Because you are associated with me. 
And so we know that Jesus remarkably didn't get the welcome that any of us intellectually might have expected. That here he was coming into the world to give himself to, in love for it, to save it, to redeem it. And yet the darkness, the evil of this world ended up putting him on a cross. Since the world didn't recognize him, treat him right, then why would we expect Christians to be treated any differently? Christians are persecuted, thirdly, because truth is always exposed. And truth itself is exposing to evil. Jesus said if they didn't know the truth, then it's like they they wouldn't understand. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But the truth of Jesus comes and exposes the darkness that's in the world. And we as God's people have aligned ourselves with the truth, with the light, with the, uh, the, the right side of righteousness. And so we stand uh, automatically opposed to the evil that creeps around in our world. The light has come into the world. The light has shone in the darkness. And whilst the darkness has not been able to overcome it, the Bible says the darkness has also not been able to understand it and has fought it and wrestled with it ever since. So persecution is inevitable. And through the centuries and around the globe, It's been a horrendous reality. Our country itself has been through times when it's been a dangerous place to be a Bible-believing Christian. If we have escaped thus far, and in many senses we have, we are perhaps more the exception than the rule. Perhaps we are the weird ones. Perhaps it's strange that we have not uh, faced what Jesus anticipated that so many of his followers would. Maybe our light is just not bright enough. Maybe the truth we speak is just not clear enough. Maybe sobering things to reflect on as we think about this this morning. Fourthly, Christians are persecuted because, as John, as Jesus was saying there in John, that, uh, uh, in John's Gospel that John read to us, too many Johns in one sentence, uh, in the, 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 the prince of this world, there is a, this world is, is in the grip of the enemy. Our, our fight ultimately is against the rulers of this world that stand opposed to Jesus and his kingdom. And so when we are told about the life of Jesus, his birth, ministry, death, and resurrection, in other places, the Bible gives us, remember we've talked about a bird's eye view, a spiritual view of what was going on, how when Jesus was born, Herod tried to kill him, but behind Herod was a satanic power that you read about in Revelation um, chapter 9, or it might be chapter 12, um, where, where we get this, this, this vision of what's happening in the spiritual world. And then Jesus sends out his disciples and opposition builds almost from day one. And it's not too long before Stephen, the first uh, Christian to be killed for his faith, was killed. A, a horrifying reality because our, our wrestle, our fight ultimately is not against human beings, but it is against the kingdoms of this world. So where's the blessing? Where is God's blessing in the middle of of a persecuted life. Where is it? And how do we make sense of it? I want to draw out um, uh, very quickly, without saying much about any of them, seven, eight, we might get up to nine uh, different truths that perhaps begin to shape our thinking as to why Jesus was able to say that people who are persecuted uh, can find themselves blessed. 
Let's have a go. Blessed in persecution, firstly then, by Christ's supremacy. It was no surprise to those early believers, or at least it shouldn't have been a surprise to those early believers, that they soon faced opposition. Not only had they seen Jesus face that same opposition, but Jesus had said, when you are persecuted, remember that all of this is simply happening so that what's already been written in the law can be fulfilled. They hated me without reason. In other words, Christ is saying in the moment of persecution, remember that this is not a surprise. This is not outside God's control. This is not a sign that it's all going wrong. This is exactly as Jesus himself said it would be. Christ is still above all. Christ is still the beginning and the end. Christ is the one whose words will ultimately always come true. He is supreme even when you are persecuted. Blessed in persecution by Christ's acceptance. Because when you are persecuted, you are not persecuted for any random reason. Fundamentally, you are persecuted because you belong to Jesus, because he himself has chosen you. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, in that moment of persecution, you are reminded that you do not belong, but I, Jesus, the living Lord and Savior, have chosen you. And however hard and real and dark those days of persecution are, They come out of the fact that you belong to Jesus and he has accepted you. And the sense that the Lord himself has chosen you becomes a tower of strength in times of opposition. Thirdly, blessed in persecution by Christ's honor. Out of that sense of being chosen, there is a sense that I'm I'm doing this to to honor Jesus. Peter, uh, the, uh, the apostle the, the, the loud one, the one who's always uh, shouting off and putting his foot in it. He, he said, ultimately, I, I don't want to die like Jesus. I, I want to be crucified upside down. Because in some way, I want to honor Jesus, even in that moment of persecution. And there are amazing testimonies through history of people who have honored Jesus at that moment of ultimate price and ultimate satisfaction. Partly because Jesus had already gone there first. Always, always, always. Jesus has already done much more than he ever asks of us. They've hated both me and my father. They will nail me to a cross. And Christ's testimony alone has brought a sense of solidarity with Jesus in the moment of ultimate suffering. Fifthly, blessed in persecution by Christ's presence. When the advert comes, the Holy Spirit, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. In other words, there's that reality of knowing that God is with them, whatever happens. I'm reminded of when Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were about to be thrown into the blazing fire. They said, they said throw us in, because we're not going to serve you, king. And even if God doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow down. Because there's a sense of honor 
that we give him that comes out of that sense of, well, God's in this. Whether I die in those flames or not, God's presence is here. And can you see why I began this morning saying this is just a load of theory for us? I don't know anything about this. Do you really? This, I'm just trying to draw out what we, what we see in the scripture that's still quite a long way from our experience. And hopefully before we get to the end, we'll, we'll drill it right down. Sixthly, blessed in persecution by Christ's growth in the world. By Christ's growth in the world. On the day that persecution broke out, and all except the apostles were scattered, it was the beginning of an explosive growth in the Christian faith. And one thing probably all of us know in our heads about persecution is that that's where the church grows fastest. And there is remarkably a blessedness of seeing incredible growth in times of persecution, not just in the world, but also uh, growth in us as individuals. The New Testament and people that have been uh, faced huge persecution since talk about, it's amazing, when our faith is put under pressure, when we face times of trials, it causes our faith not to diminish, not to dissipate, but it causes our faith to grow and to flourish and to become stronger. I'm so thankful for that moment of persecution because my faith never would have grown without it. Now that's a remarkable thought, really. Just like we exercise a muscle when we put it under pressure and it grows and it gets stronger. So when faith is put under pressure, it grows stronger and becomes uh, more alive than ever before. Eighthly, blessed in persecution because Christ's power is displayed. Paul was able to say, hey, actually, when things are really tough and I get smashed about a bit and all things go wrong, then I feel blessed because it gives an opportunity for Christ's power to be displayed. And then finally, Blessed in persecution by Christ's promise. That utter assurance that whatever comes against us in this world, the kingdom of heaven is ours. And we already have our place. And our covenant with God has already made that secure. And this world is just for a moment, and that will be for eternity. This is just for now, but that will be forever. This is a very short-term reality, because the truest, biggest reality is still yet to come. But, does it work? Isn't all of those things, or aren't all of those things really, just a load of nice religious Christian jumbo-mumbo? Because at the moment you and I feel under the slightest bit of pressure, we're tempted to run away. The moment we feel a bit of opposition, we don't instinctively go, I'm going to step into this because I'll be blessed. And we see it at just very simple levels. So it takes effort and courage For John to say, I think God's saying a few things this morning about some people here. Because he knows that several things might happen. A few people will go, that's weird. Anyway, he's weird. But that confirms he's weird. (laughs) Or, nothing will happen. That'll be funny. It'll be awkward for him. That's funny. (laughs) Uh, And so, the, the natural John 
uh, and John will say this, the natural John, I know, because we've journeyed together, would go, I'll step back from that, wouldn't he? I'll step back from that. But consistently, John has pushed through what is a very, a very small thing compared to this, because you're not a hostile crowd, are you? No. Not even sure about the level of hostility you are as a crowd. That's how unsure we all are. But, but it takes a bit of pushing in. It doesn't feel a very blessed place. But actually this morning, when God did some fab stuff for some people, that's a pretty cool blessing, isn't it? But it's facilitated because John pushed in. How did he get to that place? By pushing in again and again and again until he gets to that place of surrender. If I look a right Muppet, Lord Jesus, I look a right Muppet. And he pushed on. Even though you throw me in the fire, I'm going to push on. Even though you're going to ridicule. Even though you even though, even though. But does it work? Because our natural instinct is to shrink back. Can you really love God when the world hates you and rapes your wife and steals your children? Can you really love God? Is any of this a real hope beyond Christian platitudes? The only people that can answer that, really, are those who know. Meet AJ. Different person, different place. AJ's 21. When he was four years old, his Hindu parents sent him to live with his grandparents for economic reasons. He lived with them for nine years. One day when he was 13, one of his cousins told AJ about Jesus Something in him, isn't this beautiful? Something in him immediately responded to the message and AJ became a Christian. Then his mother died, his father remarried and AJ returned home. But when his father and stepmother discovered that he had become a Christian, they began a campaign of intimidation, abuse and violence. Open door workers met AJ at an open door standing strong through the storm seminar for young Christians in eastern India. Over 200 young people had gathered from persecuted areas to discuss the theme of imitating Christ. They sang praises with all their strength. They prayed loudly and with passion. Yet they were all there because they were suffering for their faith. Because there is a cost for all those who seek to truly imitate Christ, for AJ, it cost him his relationship with his father. As the oldest son, A.J. was expected to sacrifice to the Hindu gods, but he refused. A.J. was beaten severely every time his Hindu father caught him reading the Bible. When he was only 16, his father forced A.J. to marry a Hindu girl. This, his father reasoned, would force him back to Hinduism, but the plan backfired. After living with A.J. for a few months, what happened? His young wife also committed herself to the love and followed Jesus. Small cheer from excited congregation. So AJ's father decided to take the ultimate step. He disowned his son completely. The family refused to even allow the young couple to eat with them. They were totally isolated and forced to live on opposite sides of the same house. Soon things took an even darker turn. AJ's four younger brothers threatened him with death, even if he did not reconvert to Hinduism. They even came to kill him, but by God's grace he was not at home that day. So they contended themselves with throwing all of his and his wife's personal effects out of the house. Evicted by their own family, the couple were forced to find a small room to live in. And the ostracism continued. 
AJ's in-laws also excluded them, even the grandparents with whom he had lived for nine years rejected him and his wife at the request of his father. The couple now had a son, their toddler too is completely excluded from the family. Even within the wider village they face abuse and discrimination. When AJ's wife goes to the village well to pump water she is refused access because she's a Christian. He and his wife are one of only three Christian families in a community of 200 Hindu families. All of that could so easily lead to bitterness and despair. And yet the Open Doors worker who met AJ in India wrote this. For the eight years he's been a Christian, he's never gone a day without some form of persecution. I tried to be sympathetic and asked him where he gets the spiritual strength to stand strong in the face of this opposition. In response, he grinned and said, God is blessing me in countless ways. God is blessing me. Blessed are the persecuted. Meet Amr, another different place, different set of circumstances. He comes from Iraq. A displaced Iraqi celebrates Jesus while receiving relief supplies from Samaritan's Purse. It would be easy for Amr to be bitter. Militants from the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria forced the 53-year-old man to flee from his home in Mosul where his family had lived for generations. He now lives in a cold, drafty United Nations camp for internally displaced peoples in northern Iraq. Instead, he radiates joy despite the deplorable conditions. Although he's been driven from his home, Amor radiates the joy of Jesus. I'm not sad, he said. I'm happy because our Jesus told us in the New Testament to leave everything and come to him, and he will help us. Samaritan's Purse is providing some of that help. More than 100,000 US dollars worth of food has been distributed in the unfinished shopping centre that is now home for him and 400 other families. Samaritan's Purse has also provided winter jackets, part of the 80 tonnes of relief supplies sent in mid-October to more than 800,000 displaced by ISIS since June. That is when ISIS arrived in Amma's hometown. The terrorists were cordial at first, until the Muslim leaders announced during noon prayers one Friday that everyone was to tell their Christian neighbours that they must leave the city within 24 hours. Amr received the news from friends who had lived next to his family for almost 40 years. Seeing an ISIS fighter on the street, Amr asked, Who are you? What do you want from us? The man challenged Amr to become a Muslim so he would not have to leave his home, his business and his car behind. You win my car, Amr said. I have a company for cutting stones and marbles. You win it, but you also lose, because I love my Jesus. He went on to tell the man that Jesus taught his followers not to store up treasures on earth, but to store up treasures in heaven. Therefore, I'm not sad. You're the loser. I'm happy. I forgive you. Blessed are the persecuted. Yes, I forgive you because our Jesus told us to forgive our enemies. He told us in the New Testament to love our enemies. I love you, I forgive you, take everything, I'll die for my Jesus. What are you saying, asked the fighter. Who is your Jesus? You want to see him? Asked Amma. Look on my face and you will see Jesus. Angry, the ISIS fighter demanded that he leave. He said, if I see you Saturday at noon, I'll take your head. Okay, I'll leave, Amma said. Congratulations on my house. 
Congratulations on my company. Winter has come to northern Iraq, making the need for relief supplies even more acute. Aware that ISIS was robbing Christians of all their money as they went through their checkpoint, Amber's neighbours helped him rescue. They drove him to the checkpoint, one dressed in his white clothes and hat as though he was heading to the mosque for prayers. Seeing Amr in the back seat, the guard said, How are you, Mr. Haji? Thinking he was a Muslim, the terrorist let Amr through without incident. Leaving his neighbour, Amr continued on to the Kurdish army checkpoint. Safely on the other side of it, he prayed fervently, Thank you, God. I will follow you forever. Amr made his way to Erbil, where more than 200,000 displaced people are settled. He moved from house to house until he settled in the refugee camp in the unfinished shopping centre. He puts his suffering into perspective by comparing it to the cross. This is the Christian religion, he said. Not houses, good cars or money. When we feel hungry, tired or cold, living in this room like a refrigerator, our Jesus felt like this. Exuding the joy of the Lord, he's a living example of Jesus' promise. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you and falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Does it work? Is there blessing in persecution? Well, ask these folk and many more. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German Christian who returned to Nazi Germany to support his country as they were declaring war on the rest of the world. On the night before his execution for his Christian faith, he wrote these words that sometimes we sing in a hymn. By gracious powers, so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting, come what may, we know that God is with us night and morning. And never fails to meet us each new day. How do we respond to all of this? Well, one way, I guess, is to get connected in with what's going on in the church worldwide. Get connected in with what's happening with Irina. Again, make sure you're on that email. Grab the uh, new sheets that come out that are just around the corner there. Uh, Log on to Open Doors and find out how you can pray for many of the countries around the world. And perhaps secondly, when we're faced with that moment of stepping out, let's remember that we step into the blessing. We're going to sing, and in a moment we're going to pray for the 50 top countries, or the 50 countries where the level of persecution against Christians is at its highest. And we'll worship and we'll pray as we bring our time to a close. And it may be in some moments too, if God's touched you and healed you, as we prayed for some of you earlier on, and there's a good story to share, or or a not-so-good story to share, that we can keep praying then uh, perhaps come and see me as we worship together and we can, we can share that with everybody here before we head to our homes. John, would you lead us?